0: The first thing that probably comes to mind when you think of the word vessel is likely a boat or a ship of some kind. When you hear the word vessel, think of a a boat or a ship, but it can actually refer to any container that carries a product or a good. Any container that can carry a product or a good. For example, uh, my coffee cup up here is a vessel that carries a really good, good coffee. It carries a good called coffee, and that's what it was made for. That's what this coffee cup was designed for. It wasn't made to uh, be a paperweight. It wasn't made to, uh, well, fill with pens. We've got one back there in our sound booth just like this, and it's filled with pens. It's a pen holder. This coffee cup was made to hold... Hot liquids. It was made to drink hot liquids out of, like, coffee or tea, right? And mine's not so hot anymore, because I filled it about half an hour ago. But, uh, you know, this cup is going to glorify its maker the most, isn't it? When it does what it was designed to do. And that's sort of what we want to talk about this morning. We are... uh, The Bible likens all of us, all believers, it likens us to chosen vessels, Vessels that carry things like the good news of the gospel. So that's kind of what we're going to look at today. 2 Corinthians 4-7, Paul actually says this, We have this treasure, the glorious gospel, in earthen vessels. And he's talking there about clay pots, because they often carried and stored things in clay pots back in his day. Uh, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power uh, will prove to be of God and not from ourselves. Okay, so uh, we are the clay pots, we hold the treasure, we have the treasure stored inside of us, and we're meant to pour it out, to carry it, to store it, to pour it out. And as we make our way through the book of Acts, we're going to see that, and today, uh, we're going to see that Christ is going to choose a man named. Saul. Who who's Saul, guys? You guys know who Saul is? What else do we call him? Paul, right? The Apostle Paul. So Christ today is going to choose this man named Saul right now, his name's Saul, soon to be Apostle Paul. He's going to become one of the main vessels that Christ uses to advance the gospel in the world. <clears throat> and we're gonna he's gonna become one of the central characters in the book of Acts uh, from here on out. And uh, his conversion story is what we're going to look at today. His conversion story is, uh, is critical. Uh, it gives additional defense to the shift in God's program from, a pre- from predominantly Jewish <clears throat> to the Israelites uh, to, to, the, to, to the Gentiles now, where the church is born in Acts chapter 2, and it, it becomes predominantly Gentile. And this conversion story is going to reassure us of his apostolic office and that's important because Paul writes 13 of our New Testament books okay we want to we want to be assured of his conversion and that he's appointed to this office and he has the authority uh, to teach so uh, when you think about it this is one of the most important events in Christian history and even in world history because the Apostle Paul affected the world that much that's how important this is and the the conversion story is going to be repeated three times Uh, Throughout the book of Acts. So uh, turn to uh, Acts chapter 9 and we'll we'll pick up in verse 1 Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest uh, in Jerusalem and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if, if, if he found anyone belonging to the way "...whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem." Now, as he was traveling, it happened that that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' And he said, "'I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do.'" And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and through, though, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. And so the first thing we see here in our outline is Saul's intervention. We could call it Saul's intervention at the beginning of uh, chapter 8 Luke recorded how um, the day that Stephen was martyred uh, on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and they they were all scattered the believers the church was scattered and one of the men that was standing there we we saw was was Saul and Saul was just holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen at the time but now we see that he has become a little more involved. Actually, he's likely the most ardent persecutor of Christians. And he's willing to track them down 135 miles away in Damascus, northeast of Jerusalem. And you, you might have noticed that Christianity has a name now. Did you catch it? It's called The Way. The Way, which is a fitting title because Jesus is the way to god jesus is the only way he's the way the truth and the life And his way when you when you come to christ that leads to a new way of life by the power of the holy spirit amen that's what the name appears to entail it's a new it's the way of life it's the way to life and that's the good news that chosen vessels like you and me are called to carry that jesus is the way and Jesus leads to a new way of life. Christianity is now, you can tell, it's distinct. Just by because it has a name now, it's distinct. Remember, it was kind of blended with Judaism for a while. They're meeting in the temple, but now the persecution has come, and Christianity has now separated itself from Judaism. It is now called the way, and it should be separated, because it is exclusive. The gospel message is exclusive, isn't it? It separates, it divides, it sifts. It should not, and is not meant to be blended with any other ideas and religions out there. There is the way to God, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. And the good news is that it's also an inclusive message too. Amen. It's meant. It's. it's he died for the world, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's exclusive in that Jesus is the only way, but it's inclusive. In that it's for everybody. This is something to be shared with the entire world. Exclusive and inclusive. And uh, this is something that once you believe in it, once you become a part of the way, the moment you believe, the moment of conversion, you are called to a new way of life in Christ. Have you ever thought of yourself as belonging to the way? I belong to the way. I like it. I think we could call our church the Way Church. I don't know, something like that. We belong to the way. I like that because that tells us that uh no matter what we are, we, we all have we're a very diverse bunch here. We all have different jobs and talents and gifts and all these different things, but we all belong to the way. and so that tells us, uh, it doesn't matter what you do, necessarily. You could be a farmer or a nurse or a uh, uh, whatever, right? a butcher, you name it. But you belong to the way. You're a farmer that belongs to the way. You're a butcher that belongs to the way, a nurse. And so uh, whatever you do in word or deed, and whatever you practice, you do it to show people the way. You show people the way both in word and in deed. And the reason Paul is chasing believers all the way down to Damascus is likely because there's a large jewish population there and he wants to prevent uh this jewish population in damascus from being tainted by christianity as happened in jerusalem something he saw happen in jerusalem a lot of jews believed in christ and he wants to prevent that because saul is a very uh, zealous individual he's as zealous as they come for judaism um he says in philippians I was a I'm a Hebrew. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Judah or is it Judah or Benjamin? He, he says I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, I'm blameless according to the law. According to the law and, and so he's he's going to Damascus and trying to block the gospel because the church is scattered to Damascus and so he's he's trying to block the gospel from going to Damascus. That's why he's going and but instead he runs into a sort of a roadblock here, doesn't he? Jesus knocks him off his horse if he has one, and, and his glorious presence just blinds, blinds Paul. We'll call him Saul today, right? And uh, so Saul's on his face before Christ, this, this divine manifestation of Christ. And the first thing Jesus says to him is remarkably comforting counsel for us. There's great counsel here for us, for persecuted souls in particular. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Whoa, right? So Saul thought he was just persecuting Christians. It turns out he's persecuting who? Jesus himself. God himself. So Saul thinks he's serving God. Turns out he's fighting against God. Um. This is neat because it shows us how Jesus identifies with his people, how he identifies with us. Um, He has a a solidarity with us. We are in him, the Bible says, and he is in us. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. He has this intimate solidarity with us to the point where uh, when someone persecutes a believer, they're persecuting Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? me and that's important to think about this like it's a personal offense when jesus's people are persecuted mocked whatever mocked mistreated unjustly jesus has solidarity with us and that's important to think about too whatever you do think about this you're dragging christ into it with you so he he's in you lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit and so whatever you do you drag him with you into it and that's what Paul talked about that's why Paul said purity is so important because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit 1st Corinthians 6 15 you could say too that whatever whatever people do to us they do to him if they persecute me they persecute Jesus they tell us we need to be careful or it also tells us we need to be careful of how we treat other believers even those we disagree with because uh, we might have a bigger fight on our hands than we bargained for, right? So we've got to be careful how we treat each other because Christ is in them, even if we disagree with them. You know what uh, Zacharias said? He said, he who touches Israel, the Jews, touches the apple of his eye. You know what the apple of the eye is? The apple of God's eye be the pupil. So if you... You persecute Israel, you persecute the Jews, it's like sticking your finger in God's a pupil. You think he's going to notice that? <laughs> Isn't that something to think about? I think he's going to notice if you start persecuting the Jewish people or if you start persecuting Christians. He takes it personally. And uh, that's a good truth for us to take home. That's the counsel. We are inseparably united with Christ. We have Christ in us. And again, this is important because those who carry the gospel are often mocked and ridiculed and uh, rejected. They're beaten. They might be burned at the stake. How many martyrs have been burned at the stake throughout church history? That, does that mean that God doesn't know that that's going on? Does he, does he not know that the suffering's taking place? Not at all. Not at all you're sticking as you, you, you know someone who does that is poking god's pupil <laughs> with their finger right uh <clears throat> good news for them is that the wrath doesn't always come immediately but it will you see we got to be more like daniel i think in his friends in daniel chapter 3 we say oh nebuchadnezzar uh we're not gonna bow down to your god no matter what you do no matter what you say Right, you can throw us into this fire. We know that God can save us from your fire, but even if He doesn't, let it be known to you. We're not going to bow to your idols. And that's fine. We're not going to back down, Daniel's. Daniel and his his friends said, they said, we're going to trust God's providence. We're going to trust that God will right every wrong in His perfect timing and His perfect justice, whether it's today or whether it's when He comes to judge you. You've got to trust entrust yourself to God just like Jesus Christ entrusted himself to the Father when suffering unjustly. Judgment will come, justice will be served. However, in this case, today Jesus is going to take the enemy, Saul, and he's going to make him a humble leader and an ally out of him. Uh, that's kind of like taking the leader of ISIS and turning him into a Christian missionary pastor, isn't it? I mean, this guy's hunting down Christians and he's going to take him and make him uh, an apostle. That's pretty amazing. God can reverse his enemies. That's what we can learn from this. He can take the greatest antagonist in your life and make that person your greatest supporter. You ever thought about that? You know, when I first became a Christian, I started uh, reading my Bible, and uh, daily I was reading my Bible, and I was uh, listening to Christian music and going to church and and Bible study and you know my greatest antagonist when I first became a Christian was my dad. Always you know the sniping, the critical comments, and just kind of poking fun at my faith and kind of mocking me and and uh, you know God took that man. His birthday was this last week. Um, passed away seven years ago but before he went God took that man and softened his heart and he made him one of my greatest supporters he was my greatest antagonist and through cancer the light finally came on for him and uh, his heart softened and he got baptized and he told me don't stop serving the Lord it's pretty awesome isn't it that's what God can do that person that you've been praying for for the longest time, that coworker you've got that you think is just like the hardest person out there that God could never save them, watch out. They could become more passionate for Christ than you are. Just like that. So keep praying for them. and Keep being a winsome witness to them so that when something like cancer comes into their life, they might suddenly be interested now in your Jesus be reminded of that Um, back to the notes somewhere in here I noticed too that people typically come to know him one at a time Uh, just like Paul or Saul I'm gonna keep calling him Paul anyway aren't I Uh, people typically come to know Christ one at a time and it's in his timing um, Jesus only appears comprehensively to Paul did you notice that his companions they knew there was some sort of divine manifestation occurring they could see the light they could see the light they could hear something but they didn't actually see Jesus they couldn't really comprehend what was going on they didn't understand the voice that was speaking and so it's intelligible to them and that's important for us to take note of because of uh, a couple of things here it re- reassures us that this was not just some uh, personal inner crisis of paul something that went on on the inside he has this personal vision or something like that because uh, if if that was the case we would call it into questions and critics would have a lot of fun calling his conversion into question Uh, this conversion is more than private right others acknowledge something's going on here but it's also less than fully public they don't totally understand it that's, again, that's important. I think Jesus did it this way to reassure us of one of the most important conversions in history and one of the most important uh, people uh, in, in the church in history. And so, uh, as a result, though, Paul is blind, he's blinded by the light, and he's told, he's told to get up and enter the city because there it's going to be told him what he must do now. Uh, take note of that. As soon as Saul is saved, Christ has a work for him to do. Look at verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, "Ananias," and he said, "Here I am, Lord." And the Lord said to him, "Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he is seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight." But Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. A chosen, or some of your translations say vessel. Uh, The the word uh, could be used either way. I chose to focus on the word vessel. I like that. A chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. And so Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened right so secondly here we see uh in our outline Saul's commission Saul's commission the Lord has something for him to do he has chosen him for this position Uh, he comes to an everyday disciple named Ananias and basically says Saul's coming to a place near you And you're to go and you're to meet with him. And Ananias is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Saul? (laughs) Hey, you know who this guy is, right, Lord? And uh, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. But Jesus reassures him. He's like, Ananias, Saul isn't going to be one of my perfect vessels. And he's going to bear my name before all men. And he's going to suffer greatly in doing so. In Acts 26, Jesus said, I'm going to make him a chosen vessel a minister and a witness for me a minister and a witness and so Ananias he goes he meets up with Saul he lays his hands on him to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to regain his sight and the choice of Ananias for his for this task I think reminds us of a couple things Uh, number one Saul is an apostle who is not going to be dependent on the 12 apostles and uh That's relevant, uh, as you'll discover, when his apostolic ministry is attacked vehemently over and over again. He has to defend his apostleship. Okay, He is not dependent on the apostles. He says, I got the gospel, and I got my calling directly from the Lord Jesus Christ before I even knew those guys. And so, uh, secondly, as we've been seeing, even non-apostles as well, non-apostles, we're non-apostles here, even non-apostles like Ananias... Everyday disciples have an important work to do in Jesus' mission. You and I, all believers, have an important work to do. We're all chosen vessels, too. Uh, we're all called to a new mission. We're all intercessors. We're all priests. We're, we, the church is a kingdom of priests. Peter, Peter says that. What does a priest do? He he intercedes, he mediates in between two parties, right? Between God and people. That's what we do. We're all priests in the sense that through the gospel proclamation, we want to reconcile unbelievers with, with God. So we're all unique vessels for Christ. You know, Saul, he went to Damascus on an earthly mission from a high priest. This is kind of neat. He's got an earthly mission from a high priest going to Damascus, but now he receives a new mission from the high priest of heaven. Isn't that cool? That's the same thing with us. We have a new mission in Christ from the high priest. We have orders to make disciples of all nations. And uh, maybe it's surprising to you this morning that God would choose you for such a, such a tremendous task. Maybe it's surprising that he would choose you. Don't be because as we look at all of the characters throughout the bible one of the things we learn is that he uses everyday individuals doesn't he farmers fishermen tax collectors antagonists like saul you know saul saul was a man that christ had prepared his whole life for this ministry christ was preparing him his whole life for ministry and Stanley Toussaint identified six qualities of Saul from his past, which prepared him for the ministry. He knew the Jewish culture and language well. Um, he, he, he knew Greek culture. He possessed all the privileges of a Roman citizen. He was trained and skilled in, in Jewish theology. He was capable in a secular trade, tent making, so he'd be able to support himself. When need be, he had zeal and and leadership qualities. I mean, he was the perfect man for the job because God had prepared him his whole life for this. And that's good medicine for us because the things that we go through and are going through prepare us for ministry in the future. God can use everything we go through in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as part of his mission write this down god can use your mess for ministry later on he uses the mess for ministry he uses your weaknesses what we go through the things that we struggle with become an avenue of ministry for god if we let him use it that way and don't get sucked into the self-pity and bitterness of what has gone on in our lives We've got to learn to take the things that we go through, trust God, and harness it for his mission. Amen? You have to trust him with it, and you've got to learn to harness it for Christ. Let him open your eyes as to the different ways that he can use your mess for the mission. This is what God does, man. He's the potter, and we are the clay. That's a biblical analogy. He's the potter, we're the clay. And you know what a potter does, right? Right? When he's working the clay and he's molding it and smashes it and builds it back up and smashes it and builds it back up that's what god does with us doesn't it doesn't he and it's it's not always fun to be smashed and molded and but those are the things that that god uses to to build us and to strengthen us and and uh one guy said you know when god wants to do an impossible task he takes an impossible man and he crushes him first. Isn't that good? He takes an impossible man and he crushes him. He's he does that to to form us up again, and and that's sometimes painful. Uh, sometimes we end up with chips and cracks, right? Just like any clay jar, because they are they're weak and fragile. But that's exactly what he wants to. He chooses weak and frail vessels to carry the gospel. We're all like a clay pot, weak and fragile in our humanity. But that's on purpose, right? Why? Because, like Second Corinthians four seven says, we have the treasure in earthen vessels, so that here's the purpose, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So that in the end, we'll, we'll, be, we, we'll only be able to say that it was all by God's power. It was all by God's strength. It wasn't just me. Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So clay pots, they're, they're weak and they're fragile by design, but that's so his power is going to be perfected in the weaknesses. I like to think that the gospel actually, um, through our cracks and through our, our chips, that's where the gospel pours out uh, the easiest and the best. So think of Christ, too. Christ was the ultimate vessel who through the weakness of human flesh, the Bible says, uh, poured out his life to redeem us from sin. Let's look at verse 19. Keep moving on. Now for several days, um, he was with the disciples who were in Damascus, So that's talking about Saul and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God and all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound to the chief priests but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were also closely watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. See, see Paul came to Damascus to put Christians to death. Now he's a Christian, and his life is on the line. And so his disciples took him at night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him. In a large basket and so it's probably a house on the city wall on the edge of damascus with a window and they let him down and he and he flees at night to jerusalem and that's uh a uh, a pattern that we're going to see repeated again in verses 26 through 30. there's skepticism there's preaching there's skepticism concerning saul like what do we do with this guy there's uh preaching and then there's fleeing um, look at verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried repeatedly to associate with the disciples, and yet they were all afraid of him, as they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had talked to him, and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews but they were attempting to put him to death. And now the brethren learned of it. When the brethren learned of it, uh, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So we see, thirdly, uh, Saul's reception here. Uh, He's not immediately welcomed at Jerusalem now. People are still afraid of him. They don't know what to think of him. What do we do with this guy? But uh, Barnabas, this man whose name means son of encouragement, lives up to his name once again. He was an encouragement in Acts chapter 6, and here he is again in Acts chapter 9. It says he takes hold of Saul. Did you catch that? He takes hold of Saul, like takes him under his wing, and brings him before the the brethren, before the church. And, uh, you know, I think we need more guys like Barnabas today. Barnabas is such a great example for us. Uh, we need more people like him who are going to take others, especially new believers who, who just kind of feel awkward in church maybe, and, and they need, they need uh, people they can trust who are going to take them and, and introduce them to people and encourage them and disciple them and show them how they too can be a, a unique uh, chosen vessel for Christ so they can be a, use, a useful vessel for Christ now. And uh, I thought that was a good principle for us to take home from this. Useful vessels seek to fill other vessels. Okay, by God's strength, we are filled. We, we, we want to help fill others, right? To see them continue to be a useful vessel for Christ. Um, Saul is eventually welcomed, and he's protected by the church. And uh, it's funny, the Hellenists who put Stephen to death, the Hellenistic Jews who put him to death, um, are trying to put Saul to death now. He's like, man, I held your guys' coats. <laughs> now, now he's on the run from these same people. And uh, what they do is they send him up the north coast to uh, Caesarea and to Tarsus. And uh, you know that that's a that's kind of a neat clue. Uh, they didn't glorify martyrdom. Okay, they thought it was okay not to see. They didn't seek martyrdom. They said it was okay to live another day for Christ. If they could, right? To die is gain, but to live is also Christ. To live is Christ. To keep on preaching Christ. And look at verse 31. This is my favorite verse in today's passage. Uh, So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace. They enjoyed peace, and it was being built up, and as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. Okay, this is the second, now the second of six summary statements in the book of Acts. I think there's six or seven of them. Uh, Oh, sorry. There's six of them. But uh, we're on the second one. And each one, each summary statement is basically wrapping up an era in the early church stages. Okay, so this is the second one. This is wrapping up this age of increased persecution. That's what. That's that's what characterized this era in the early church persecution. And yet, look at the way that this era is concluded by Luke, the author. He says the church enjoyed peace and comfort from the Holy Spirit, and it continued to grow and it continued to be built up. Isn't that amazing? You're telling me that the era characterized by persecution ended in peace and comfort? Okay, that tells you that even in the mess of everything that's going on, God is still working. And he's working in their hearts to comfort them. And here's why they had such peace and why they had such comfort and why they continued to grow strong. And they continued to increase in number despite the persecution. It's The answer is right there in the verse. It, here's why... They feared the Lord more than they feared anything else. Did you catch that? As it continued in the fear of the Lord. That's a good type of fear. The fear of the Lord. They feared God more than they feared man, more than they feared the fire. That's the way Erwin Lutzer put it at our Berean conference this last weekend. I wish you all could have been there. Erwin Lutzer, man, good stuff. Um, I mentioned this book last year, I think it was last March, but get a book by Erwin Lutzer called We Will Not Be Silenced because he addresses all the things going on in our culture today and how they're trying to silence Christianity. And uh, that is an incredible book that you want to learn from. But uh, the job of a vessel is to witness to the gospel. And that witness, when you think about it, when is it going to be strongest? When is it going to be the the most powerful, probably? During persecution, right? People are going to see a bold witness, a faithful witness, despite persecution and say, what does that person have that I don't have? That's what happened with Stephen when he was persecuted. He was a bold witness, and his witness started to prick the conscience of Saul. When Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, he said, it's pretty hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it, Saul? Day after day, his conscience had been pricked by the, by the, the witness of Stephen, who was martyred. Our witness is going to be strongest in times of opposition. And uh, I don't know about you, but it kind of looks like that's that opposition is increasing, wouldn't you say? The church today is living in an increasingly hostile culture. We do not live in the same country we used to, do we? Our culture used to believe in objective truth, that truth exists. And they don't anymore. There's no such thing as truth. This is all part of Marxism, by the way. It's part of what he taught. You control the universe. You decide your gender. There's no such thing as math. Math is racist. We have white math today. Let me read a quote from uh, Will Smith, actor Will Smith. These are some of the elite people, right, in our country. The actors, people who are on Facebook, YouTube, all these different things. this is a Devo from a guy named Dave Watson recently he said during break in my Tuesday morning Old Testament intro he's a teacher he said Johnny my TA had a group of students clustered around his computer they were watching an interview with Will Smith the top billed actor was expressing his take on two plus two he said I want to represent magic that you're in a universe and two plus two only equals four if you accept that two plus two equals four two plus two is going to be what I want it to be you just decide what it's going to be who you're going to be right girl or boy right maybe nothing just decide and from that point the universe is going to get out of your way we are who we choose to be that's the ideology out there and that's kind of that's sketchy Right? To think of a, the next generation being influenced by this kind of ideology that they don't believe in objective truth. Anything goes with that kind of generation, right? At least the Soviet communists in Russia, right, believe in, in math. It's scary that cultural Marxism taking over doesn't. Doesn't want you to. What's a generation like that? I mean, the. the what are they gonna do I don't know we're we're living in an increasingly hostile culture and as the church today we've got to see suffering we've got to learn to see suffering as a badge of honor that it is an honor to suffer for Christ uh, we also must trust that God's gonna use our suffering more than we know we're gonna we're, we're to be salt And Light in the world we're to be in the world, but we're not to be like it Henry Blackaby said this God is raising up a standard against this generation against this generation and You and I are the standard And That's why we've got to be in the world, but not like it Because we are a standard in this world We're called to be lights in a dark and perverse generation, Philippians says. So, we don't back down. We stand for what we know is right, even if it means giving our life for it. Amen? That doesn't mean that we hate the haters out there. We just draw lines in the sand, and we stand firmly for what we know is right, while lovingly pouring out the gospel even if it means giving our reputations, even if it means giving our careers, even if it means giving our life. That's what a vessel does. It was meant to be poured out, just like Christ poured out his life. See yourself as a vessel. We will not be the standard that we're called to be if we let this crumbling culture that we're living in mock us and pressure us into conformity with its standards is this culture trying to pressure you into conforming to its standards to get you to loosen up a little bit they are aren't they our college students up there probably need our prayers a lot of universities around the country if you stand for christ you stand for any sort of morality professor might fail you and you're going to be mocked and ridiculed for following the ancient book for believing in any sort of objective truth the truth is guys we are living in a culture that not only wants you to tolerate things like homosexuality transgenderism whatever it is fake versions of social justice they don't only want you to tolerate it Erwin Lutzer said they want you to clap for it and they will not be satisfied unless you are clapping with them. We don't clap and we don't fear and we draw a line and we trust God. We're to be a witnessing vessel of truth. And hope and if we're just like the world that hope and that truth is diminished they can't see it so chosen vessels have to trust the potter that's my last principle they have to trust the potter, potter who formed them okay being a vessel requires us to trust God and to fear him more and so today for communion we're gonna do something a little bit different we're gonna gather the elements uh, I think someone we're going to have a song and so come up gather the elements and uh, we'll, we'll sit sit down but then I'm gonna ask us to stand and we're gonna read through a prayer together this was a prayer that Lutzer concluded the Berean conference with yesterday and it's a prayer that I brought home and I thought how relevant is this for us because it's a prayer that renounces fear encourages us to keep trusting the Lord